<laughs> Zou Nicholas II functie elders? <laughs> exactly, ja. It's Friday, June the 16th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Quiz Show Plagiarist, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Red Pencil Warrior. Yes. Yeah. Um, you, you, Paul, you're not happy this week, right? I'm, I'm extremely unhappy. <laughs> uh, because um, Somebody's violated have... the sacred rules of Dutch elections. They they really did. Um, following the elections, which we will talk about uh, later in the podcast, the provincial council elections, uh, there's always a uh, an evaluation of, of 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 the of the election process, yeah. and uh, the committee that carried that out now um, has suggested to um, uh, end the practice of uh, uh, extremely uh, large ballot papers mm. um, because it is running out of hand according to them uh, it's probably running out of paper as well running out of paper as well uh, with all the hundreds and hundreds of candidates that uh, participate in all elections Uh, Mm. so uh, instead of just listing them all on this enormous ballot paper they uh, advise to uh, use a shorter version where you first tick a box of the candidate list you want to uh, vote for and then uh, another uh, box with the candidate number yeah but uh, yes, I st- I st- I'm very much opposed to it. I, th- I think that uh, we should uh, uh, keep this tradition of this, yep. uh, yeah, of like folding out this enormous ballot paper in your tiny, tiny ballot box. And then, <laughs> exactly, uh, you go into this very small booth again. and you have to unfold a ballot paper that's the size of a yeah. small bed sheet. Yeah. And then yeah. try and find your MP, find your candidate in this maze of names. It 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 uh, it always reminds me of these photos of um, uh, train passengers, and another thing we will talk about later yeah. in the podcast. <laughs> reading these papers in the fifties, right? You, you, it's a, a train filled with people, and they're all yeah. reading their enormous uh, uh, newspapers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it always reminds me of that. And also, the process of counting these votes is very, um, yeah, uh, uh, laborious, I guess, because uh, yeah, it has to be folded out, and then it has to be sorted, and it yeah. t- always takes. A very long time but still i think it's part of the uh the dutch voting experience uh, uh and i'm uh, i'm very uh, conservative in this uh, <laughs> field they also want to um uh, uh ensure that we can vote with the best quality red pencils yes uh, so uh, there are they, going to be standards coming in for red pencils which yes is, yeah. uh, and it has to be of good quality because there were incidents in the last elections of uh, people trying to vote with their red pencil and uh, it did didn't stick to the ballot paper i guess so you could just wipe it out which is uh, doesn't seem to be a good thing when you're when you're casting your vote so they're trying to avoid that um so the the red pencils uh will definitely stay but the the enormous ballot uh, sheets uh, uh, ballot f- papers they will mm. be uh, probably be uh, be phased out at some point in the near yeah. future yeah so rip the giant uh giant voting papers yes yeah which is very sad yeah. Indeed. 
Um, and which uh, quiz show have you been plagiarizing, actually? Well, I'm just uh, mulling uh, over which one I should plagiarize, because apparently it's quite a lucrative line of work. No, there's, there's a huge amount of op-heft this week, um, uh, mainly among British quiz show fans, which is not a group of people you should ever try and cross, um, <laughs> frankly. And the New, the New York Times found this out, because the New York Times puzzle editor unveiled this great new puzzle game that they've just uh, devised online, which unfortunately looked absolutely identical to uh, a section of a um, quiz show that goes out on one of the uh, BBC um, down the order to TV channels called Only Connect. But it's got quite a fanatical following um, who are all very active on Twitter and all of them, all mass, pointed out to the NYT. They basically just ripped off this quiz show panel game that's been going on for, it's been running for about 13 years as well. Oh, um, wow. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very old... Uh, very well-known uh, quiz, yeah. and now the New York Times have been plagiarizing it. Yeah, it's not that well-known, but I guess it's probably better known now because of this incident. There has been any uh -huh. time. It, 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 I it, haven't it, heard of it now. No, it's called, no it, it, it runs mainly... I think it did move to BBC Two um, to, from one of the uh, lower, one of the kind of uh, um, cable-only BBC channels, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's presented by um, uh, 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 Victoria Corrin, who is uh, a comedian and married to David Mitchell, who's quite a well-known comedian. Anyway, it's been she then commented and said um, uh, that, that it was strikingly similar. This game where basically you have uh, always a, a, a box of 16 words and they make up four groups of connected words and you have to work out what the connections are. That's how it works. Ah, yeah. That's um, a segment in the Slimster Men's quiz. It is also, in, in, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Almost certainly. Yeah, so th there's nothing, yeah, there, but, there's a, but the, the New York Times presented this as this great new game that they've been working on for months. Um, and, uh, you know, almost everybody. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised okay. actually Slimster Men's fans haven't jumped on this as well <laughs> and claimed it as one of theirs. Yeah. yeah. And they probably uh, thought so, yes. Um, okay, so, yeah, the New York Times has a history of presenting yeah well-known basic things as this uh, uh, novelty um, innovation for example um, going outdoors or just chilling <laughs> yes. on your couch yeah um, and of course they also they had fallen this with their puzzles because of wordle which to be fair was devised by somebody else and then they bought it up but that was basically just lingo turned yeah. rewritten for the internet and somebody which made a, a nice amount of money doing that so i think the thing to do is to just get a load of box sets of old obscure 1970s 1980s quiz shows go through <laughs> yeah. it and then, and then just basically write some code and send, sell it to the new york times and that's, you know be set up for life that sounds so that's uh, like new, a that's very lucrative. Uh, um, and that uh, brings us to the uh, OPEF of the week. Um, the real OPEF this week was caused by Forum for Democracy leader Thierry Baudet, uh, who uh, suggested in Parliament that we uh, should be very proud of the Dutch colonial past, especially in, in Indonesia. But uh, unfortunately, we have the policy of ignoring him as much as possible. So instead, we focus our attention to another set of OPEF. Uh, this comes from uh, Nieuwsuur, which revealed this week uh, new information about the Funksy Elders Gate. <laughs> um, actually, this is this borders real news, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, there hasn't been real developments after this, so uh, yeah, we can still present it as OPEF. I think next week we will uh, we will uh, talk about this. We'll more. run about his actual news, yeah. Yes. Um, to recap, Funksy Elders Gate started right after the general election of 2021, and at the very start of the formation process. 
Kaiser Alongen, who was tasked uh, to lead initial and informal talks between freshly elected political leaders and make an inventory of possible new coalitions, was photographed while rushing home after a positive corona test. She was carrying a confidential memo which read Positie onzicht, functie elders. Position onzicht, function elders, I uh, guess. Function elsewhere, yes. Function yeah. elsewhere, yeah. yeah. Um, which referred to then CDA MP Pieter Omtzigt, who was uh, instrumental in uncovering the childcare benefit scandal, which led to the fall of Rutte's third cabinet only a couple of uh, months before that. Hmm. The suggestion that Mark Rutte and or others were discussing the political future of a uh, highly critical MP behind closed doors led to a political crisis that almost cost Rutte his political life after a motion of no confidence was narrowly voted down uh, in a uh, very tumultuous debate on April 1st, 2021. Uh, what exactly has been said about Omtzigt and by whom was never completely cleared up, but Nieuwsuur revealed this week that the two verkenners, so Ollongren and VVD Senate leader Annemarie Joritsma, were worried about the popular CDA MP from day one, and they tried to discuss the MP with Tweede Kamer chair Kadisha Arip, also behind closed doors, who mm. apparently refused to uh, yeah, uh, continue the talks. Uh, more confidential notes and other sources show that the pair saw Omtzigt as a problem and a risk. And immediately after the news broke out, opposition parties were still, to say the least, frustrated by the fact Mark Rutte managed to come out as prime minister after the scandal, announced they demanded a debate with him and the two former Verkenners. But the Tweede Kamer decided to send the Verkenners a uh, letter with a bunch of questions first. But after they have responded uh, to that, uh, there will likely be a uh, a debate um, uh, on this issue. Um, yeah. So, is so the new the, the new open, transparent administrative culture is uh, is going like a train, basically. <laughs> yeah. The only problem is the train. Exactly. And the question is Eurostar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And it's uh, it's it's stranded and it is uh, <laughs> on fire and it is uh, <laughs> exactly, derailed yeah. and it is um, going in the wrong direction. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, at the same time, um, the, 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 a committee of, uh, of professors evaluated the formation process. They revealed their uh, uh, report this week and talked about it in the Tweede Kamer. And they basically advised, stop pretending that we are going to do uh, this in a, we can do this in a very transparent way. That's not going to happen. Negotiations mm. have to happen behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, so uh, stop, uh, stop uh, uh, believing in the illusion that uh, this can be done transparently. Um, so they had a list of 11 uh, paradoxes uh, which uh, uh, all the political leaders uh, have been um, uh, 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 were guilty of. For example, um, uh, complaining about a political landscape which they have caused, mm -hmm. st stuff like that. It's, it, was a, it was a very well-written report. Bet, yeah. uh, so if you speak Dutch, uh, it is uh, advisable to, to, to read that. Um, but um, yeah, um, we will. Uh, we don't have. It's it, this. This whole debate. It's still shredded in a lot of mysteries, right? For example, um, uh, 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 following the revelation of this uh, of this memo, uh, it was decided that uh, the uh, notes made during these confiden confidential talks were were released to the public, uh, and it showed, you know, how messy and how. Uh, 
yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, how messy a information process is. And yeah. someone once said, um, uh, if you have a frikandel, never ask how it is made, <laughs> just eat it. And yes. the same thing applies to a coalition and to a formation. It is, it is not the prettiest site, and it yeah. doesn't lead to to more confidence. Even though people, um, yes, yeah, s- some people suggest that uh, a full transparency um, should be. Uh, uh, should be met. Yeah, never ask how your how your government is made. So, no, yeah, especially in the Netherlands, it's a very bloody business. Yeah, I think we uh, will talk about this more next week, or probably, or yeah. perhaps the week after that, uh, yeah. after Olongren has responded to her letter. If she has the time between uh, training uh, Ukrainian <laughs> F sixteen <laughs> fighters okay. and uh, uh, what more? Yeah. Yeah, and then meeting. Was she not meeting the Swedish ambassador or the King of Sweden as well this week or something? She is of Swedish nobility, isn't it? She, she is of Swedish descent, certainly. She has two passports, which uh, Wilders is constantly points out. But uh, yeah, I uh, know she's of fi- she is of Finnish uh, nobility. Ah. Yes, so she is. Um, yeah, probably uh, even more motivated to get. Uh, now Finland is already member of the Finland is already NATO, in right? NATO. Yeah, yes, it's yeah. Sweden. That's uh, yeah. Sweden is still being dangled on the wire by Erdogan. So. Her um, great great grandfather was the governor, governance, governance, governors, governess of uh, Tsar Nicholas II. <laughs> ah, how nice for her. Interesting. Yeah, that that didn't end well. No. <laughs> <laughs> This week, farmers are invited to find out if they're a peak polluter and whether they can claim compensation. The provincial governments take shape and it's not looking for good for Desa Sezestach. Uh, so perhaps uh, Olongen Funksi Elders is looming. <laughs> Eurostar is determined to keep the trains between Amsterdam and London running. And we've got news of the Dutch football and cricket teams. So stay yes. tuned. Around 3,000 farmers are eligible for the government scheme to buy out so-called peak polluters as it tries to bring down nitrogen pollution. This week, Nitrogen Minister Christiana van der Waal launched a website that allows livestock farmers to calculate whether they qualify as a peak belluster or heavy polluter. If they do, if they are eligible, they could claim an amount equivalent to 120% of the value of their land and business, provided they sell up altogether and don't use the money to start a farm anywhere else in the European Union. That was one of the conditions under which Brussels approved the plan. The government accepts that not all eligible farmers will want to give up, but it reckons that if 20% agree, it will go a long way towards meeting the target of reducing nitrogen compound emissions by 20, by 50% by 2030. All right, and how did the farmers react to the scheme? Were they happy? Were they uh, 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 trying to reach the website en masse? Uh, 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 what happened? Well, I think it's fair to say they're not desperately keen, although the website did um, uh, break down under the strain of uh, multiple logins um, on Monday morning when it was launched, but I think a lot of the farmers kind of did. A bit like when you go on to, you know, when you hear from your airline that there's an offer, you, you immediately jump on the airline website to see what flights are available, but you don't actually book one so i always travel by train so i uh, of course you do i have no experience with that yeah um some farmers have queried the methods used to calculate the pollution levels Uh, others say the website is cumbersome and doesn't contain enough clear information to help them decide and plenty of farmers have already made up their mind that they're just not going to do it basically um Cattle farmer Ben Apeldoorn from Waldeburg near Utrecht said the government was trying to force farmers out of business and he fears no amount of nitrogen reduction will be good enough for them. 
Hmm. Other farms complain the basis for the calculation is too crude and too bureaucratic, and it doesn't take into account things like whether or not they've modernised their sheds recently. But uh, Van der Waal has said there won't be an improvement on what she calls her wildly attractive offer to the farmers and urge them not to dig their heels in. This approach will work if the farmers decide between themselves that it's okay to work with the government, she said. Woest aantrekkelijk was her exact yes, uh, terminology. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Um, and which farms are being targeted? Can anyone apply or is it just the farmers that are in the Natura 2000 zones? Yeah, that's exactly it. They're looking for farmers that are close to the newer 2000 zones and they, they, they calculate basically how many deposits in a Natura 2000 zone are um, emitted by your farm. That's uh, uh, the basis on which they decide whether or not you're a peak polluter. And this, of course, mm. is the whole basis of the ruling by the Council of State that kicked off the nitrogen crisis in 2019. The court said the European Union limits to nitrogen compound emissions in vulnerable areas were legally binding and the government had to take action. And then the peak polluter scheme was an idea that was uh, introduced by Johan Remkes, Mr. Stikstoff, uh, the government's all-round <laughs> fixer, when he was called in to hold talks with farmers when things got a bit heated and they were having mass protests last summer. Um, around 60% of the eligible farmers are in Gelderland province, which is really interesting and will become, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of explain why a bit maybe I think when we talk about the coalition negotiations. Uh, but Gelderland has a lot of livestock farming and also a lot of Natura 2000 zones. By contrast, yeah. there are just four peak polluters in Zout Holland, which is the most populous province. There are only four in Zeeland as well, and there are none at all in Groningen. I'd just like to point out that Groningen is the home province of Johan Remkes. So <laughs> I, I, I smell a stitch up here. Yes, you smell some uh, nitrogen there. Um, speaking of uh, negotiations, is there any progress with the uh, agriculture agreement, which uh, is, uh, I think, has passed another deadline this it's week? It passed yet another deadline. Yeah, it was originally due this winter believe it or yeah. not but uh, uh, there's been some slow crawling progress towards maybe some kind of agreement uh, the farmers lobby group the LTO uh, they met cabinet ministers on Wednesday at Villa um, uh, uh, Ockenburg uh, over in the um, uh, in the dunes in the Hague which is also a Natura 2000 zone of course uh, they sat down with cabinet ministers uh, to discuss the much-delayed agricultural agreement. Uh, the LTO actually walked out of the talks during the afternoon. They said there was nothing to talk about, and they <laughs> said they that there were wide Even though they have been talking for, for months and months and months, <laughs> but there was nothing to talk about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> there were strong indications during the day that they were about to walk out, and they did, but then they clearly did find something to talk about because they went back to the table uh, for a meeting with Mark Rutter and the agriculture minister, Pete Adama, and other ministers for talks which uh, broke up eventually uh, around about one o'clock in the morning i think but, it was uh, without, much later than that wasn't it i think uh, well certainly chat from the Tart came out at half past 12 and said okay. that um yeah and talked to the press um hmm. i don't know if they went on much longer after that um anyway chat from the Tart, uh, who's chairman of the lto he said the cabinet has moved far enough for us to take crucial steps which uh, is uh, okay. like sort of a sort of Oracle of Delphi type pronouncement that you, you, you could take it to mean absolutely anything. And uh, it was as clear as he's prepared to get. Um, the agricultural agreement is supposed to set out the future for the farming industry until 2040. One key sticking point is how to resolve the issue of the so-called pus melders. 
these are farmers who applied for... Yeah. <coughs> explain what pus melders are. <laughs> I was just dreading having to explain pus melders, but it's kind of important because <coughs> the, 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 the pus was the system that they had, um, the old kind of environmental permit system they had for farming and for all kinds of construction. And that was what was thrown out by the Council of State in 2019 yeah. because the pus system basically said that uh, if you exceeded... The, um, the 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 nitrogen deposit levels. It was okay so long as you had plans in the future to bring down environmental pollution. And the council of state said you can't you can't play these things off. You basically have yeah. to keep your nitrogen deposits low at all times. Uh, and that meant that left a whole load of farms in limbo because they had environmental permits under the system. Uh, in, that in system limbo? was then in, in in Limburg or in limbo. In oh, limbo. limbo. Okay. Yeah, no, not in Limburg. Well, th- 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 I think th- it's hard to tell the two apart quite often. But, yeah. <laughs> where were you? <laughs> no, where was I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they had they had they held environmental permits under this pass system that was then thrown out by the courts. But of course, there there wasn't the, the, there was no system brought in to replace it because that was what the uh, the farmers and the government have been arguing about ever since. And so these farmers basically effectively are you know are practicing um, they the applying their trade illegally. Yeah without yeah, a permit yeah. um, so the talks on Wednesday um, uh, covered that issue and they ended up running on so long they had to cancel a dinner for the negotiators which is uh, hmm. very sad but fear not because the dishes were donated to a charity that campaigns against food waste so <laughs> right <laughs> it's pro- it was a woest aantrekkelijk aanbod for the uh, <laughs> this charity it yeah it's probably some kind of lopen buffet as well so the lopen <laughs> buffet just had to go and walk off somewhere else all right so uh yeah it's uh it's something that has been dragging on for months right this agricultural agreement and i think they're yeah. not even discussing the contents of this agreement they are only discussing the frameworks within they're going to find a solution so yeah it's uh they still have a long way to go and it is uh yeah a very important aspect of, of the government's nitrogen uh, uh measures because uh it is this agreement that should uh, was going to give uh, the farmers a perspective on the future and what yeah. they were going to uh, ex- expect in the near future. And um, without uh, this agreement, they can't um, uh, implement, yeah, basically all the nitrogen measures. And that yeah, means that... Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if they don't have an agricultural agreement, the farmers aren't going to sign up to the buyout scheme because they'll yeah. say quite quite rightly, you know, okay, we'll we'll get our buyouts, but but what happens next? Or you know, or rather, they, they can't make the decision. Well, what they want to be able to do is be able to say, do I do I take the buyout money or do I take? Because there are other subsidy pots available for things like modernizing your um you know, your farm so that you so that you produce less nitrogen emissions. But until they know what options are on the table, what's available, they they can't make a decision. So everything. Yeah. Everything gets stalled. Yeah. Yeah. So um, bottom line is we're not uh, near any solution of the nitrogen crisis. No basically. news is there's <laughs> still no news. Yeah. Yes. It's been uh, three months since the provincial elections, in which Caroline van der Plas's Farmer Citizens Movement, or BBB, emerged as the biggest party in all 12 provinces. And until this week, political parties only managed to reach a coalition agreement in Limburg. Uh, with the unlikely combination of BBB plus the Liberals of VVD, the Christian Democrats of CDA, Labour and the Socialist Party. Um, so we, uh, 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 it, it covered the entire It's a very spectrum, broad coalition, uh, that, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. yes. Yeah. At this uh, point, four years ago, coalitions had been reached in 10 provinces, and uh, back then it was uh, seen as a very unusually slow progress. 
Um, so uh, this time coalition talks were especially complicated uh, because of the nitrogen crisis. We just discussed this. Baby Bay was uh, yeah, literally founded in protest of the government's measures to reduce nitrogen pollution, uh, while the traditional parties are on paper supporting them. Mm. Uh, the provinces are given an instrumental role in carrying out the government's measures, which uh, doesn't help uh, speeding up these negotiations. Um, for example, the provinces have to uh, yeah, set up schemes to buy out heavily polluting farmers. And I think the deadline for all these plants is July 1st. So, uh, yeah, they have to, uh, a lot of work to do in the coming two weeks. Um, but this uh, yeah, buying out uh, farmers is heavily uh, opposed by BBB. Uh, but despite all this, four more coalitions were announced this week. Mm. So they are making progress. They are, yes. Yeah, and uh, some of these coalitions do have, yeah, the, the combinations uh, involve a certain amount of contortionism, you might say. Uh, the, the, <laughs> they're, they're not really the parties that naturally fit together. No, they are, yeah. Previously, we, if someone had said that uh, this was going to be the, the results of the coalition partners, uh, uh, the, the, the result of the coalition negotiations uh, uh, six months ago, I, uh, I think I would say uh, would have said they are mad. But here we are. Uh, let's take a look first at South Holland, the largest province there. Uh, Baby Bay will join forces with the VVD, the party of Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Nitrogen Minister Christiane van der Waal, uh, as well as with CDA, which traditionally enjoyed a broad electoral base among farmers, uh, and also with Labour and GroenLinks. And the combination Baby Bay GroenLinks is something that I wouldn't have expected, especially not in South Holland. Uh, mm. And also, what's surprising is that CDA, uh, you know, they have been decimated uh, in the in the in the last election. They are very willing to uh, to step into coalitions uh, in all other provinces, as we will see later. Yeah, I think the CDA will literally just sell their granny if it gives them a chance to stay in, get into, or stay in government. There. Yeah. Yeah, their 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 the agricultural base, their electoral base among farmers have been, yeah, for one hundred percent almost been 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 transferred to BBB, right? Mm. So yeah, yeah. they uh, it's it's uh, surprising that they are so keen on on stepping into coalitions because, for example, in Zeeland, CDA will also join a coalition with BBB and VVD. Uh, they will be um, also be joined by Orthodox Christian Party SGP. Uh, which, uh, ne- of course, also enjoys uh, yeah a large, uh, uh, a st- a strong support in uh, in Zeeland, and the last coalition partner is surprisingly PVV, hmm. the anti-immigration party of Geert Wilders, which until now has never formally stepped into a coalition and assumed a governing role, um, and yeah, basically, PVV has always been. Uh, ruled out right by uh, by the traditional parties but uh, uh, it also shows how desperate things are that they even have to uh, yeah ask PVV to step into coalitions and the Zeeland alliance describes itself as sober and realistic which I think wonderfully captures the general mood of the province of Zeeland <laughs> yeah I think it's uh, very uh, yeah, you, yeah yeah quite uh, euphemistic yeah um, and the Gelderland coalition, uh, yeah, we just talked about Gelderland, the uh, yeah, sort of uh, epicenter of nitrogen pollution mm. and Natura 2000 areas. That coalition is made up uh, of the familiar base of BBB, VVD and CDA. And they will be uh, joined by uh, coalition party ChristenUnie and again SGP. 
Yeah. So yeah. So so the two uh, Christian parties uh, joining the, the kind of centre right block, and you kind of see the Bebebe, Fefe Day, and CDR are kind of the motor block of these provincial yeah. coalitions. When you look down. Um, the, the, the coalitions that have been uh, finalised so far, but also the sort of provisional coalitions, uh, provinces that haven't decided. But yeah, d- 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 just a word on Gelderland, because Gelderland is so pivotal to this whole um, <clears throat> um, process of trying to buy out the farmers. I mean, the, 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 they've they've uh, the parties there have come up with a coalition agreement that uh, goes right against um, the uh, cabinet's policy on some points. Right, for example, they, they say they want to half nitrogen emissions or nitrogen compound emissions uh, by 2035 so they want to push the deadline by five years which has been a real uh, sticking point within the coalition parties in the hague so that's really interesting i think yeah you see that in uh, in multiple provinces as well that uh, the coalition agreement said that um, uh, uh, they are sticking to the um, the deadline that is in the nitrogen law that's 2035 but the coalition the national coalition has agreed that uh, 2030 is their deadline, their preferred deadline. Within the coalition, there's a, a whole discussion about uh, should we move this, uh, this 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 deadline to the uh, to 2035. CDA especially is is very much in favor of that. Rob Gorksa, the CDA leader, has said before that he is um, he wants to renegotiate uh, the coalition agreement on this part. This is very much opposed by Deza's assessor, who is. Mm. on the side of the environmentalists and it should be noted that Deze 60 is excluded in all the uh, provinces until now yeah. um, because they have presented themselves as the um, yeah um, main opposition against BBB which uh, yeah didn't um, uh, uh, make them very um, yeah uh, 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 which which didn't make them friends with Caroline van der Plas and also the the most vocal um, uh, nitrogen MP is uh, Cheert de Groot of yeah. course who uh, who uh, regularly tries to uh, to to be as uh, unconstructive as possible uh, when it comes to farmers and and, and making them angry by yeah. suggesting that they have to reduce their livestock by half for example yeah um, so yeah, it's, it's not often you you, you hear uh, uh, people in the Netherlands uh, being criticized for being too direct but I think uh, <laughs> definitely de- definitely does get that criticism a lot that um, yes yeah that he's just not um, he's too intransigent but um, yeah that only any Secret that uh, Caroline van der Plas uh, all along has had a strategy of trying to marginalise Dezen Zestig in this negotiation process. I think the only province where Dezen Zestig have any remote chance of being in the coalition is Utrecht. Um, yeah, but and that's moment. where BBB is uh, uh, is not, Yeah, is the weakest. Yes. Yeah. Um, it should be. Yeah. On, on the one hand, um, uh, uh, if, if many provinces say we we want to stick to the 2035 deadline, uh, that on the one hand, you could think that helps Wopke um, Hoekstra in his negotiation, renegotiation of the coalition agreement. Yeah. On the other hand, um, it's something that's very much opposed by Deze Sester, as I already said. And if now Deze Sester in the provinces is excluded, so that means that they have no uh, Deze Sester in The Hague doesn't have any reason to remove uh, uh, this this deadline to 2035. They can say, yeah, we we don't want this. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 we're not going to do this. Uh, while if Deze Sester was included in the provinces, uh, 
Rob Kuchta could have said yes, but your party is also part of this uh, of the provinces wanting to move it. So, uh, on the one hand, you could think this this is this is uh, improving the negotiation position of Rob Kuchta. On the other hand, um, yeah, it's it's not. So it's still. Uh... But I guess I mean it it, it, it seems well um, it, to to me inevitable that they are going to have to sit down and and and, and tackle this issue, and the coalition parties will have to talk about whether they renegotiate this twenty thirty deadline. But of course, Jason Zestuch will then demand some quite big concessions in return yeah. from uh, the CDR, and yeah. if they don't get them. There's the risk, I suppose, that they might decide to just um, uh, walk out of the coalition. Yes, is, is that a likely scenario? Do you think? Yeah, it could be. Um, uh, we we already saw um, Favre Day um, suggesting that they are not uh, very keen on on proceeding uh, with this coalition uh, on the issue of migration. Yeah. Um, uh, De Sester and CDA are also. Um, yeah, making uh, making nitrogen a breaking point. So yes, if if anyone, everyone is uh, yeah uh, 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 saying yeah, we're not going to cross these lines, and if these lines <laughs> don't go inside, then yeah, that's that's something that uh, could lead to a to to a collapse of a coalition. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but we should go to our favorite province finally as well, because yes. uh, Flevoland has also agreed a quite remarkable um coalition team so who's uh, d- d- talk us d- talk us d- d- yeah talk listen through that one yes in in Flevoland it all starts uh, uh, with BBB and VVD that's uh, unsurprising so far the SGP uh, joins them as well uh, and the Kistenuni too um but the fifth uh, coalition partner is the PVV. Uh, we just discussed that uh, PVV of Geert Wilders, very extreme positions on migration and Islam hmm. um, but uh, that sort of uh, makes it very uncomfortable very awkward uh, fifth coalition partner, especially for the ChristenUnie uh, members of the, yeah, that party which is a coalition party as well uh, have spoken out against the partnership and also the party chairman is very unhappy uh, with the uh, new coalition. He describes the PVV's position on immigration, freedom of religion, rule of law and climate change as diametrically opposed to the ChristenUnies. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> doesn't seem like a natural partner. Um, the political reality in Flevoland, yeah, however, doesn't leave any other options. So yeah, the coalition enjoys a majority of only one seat right now, and uh, that makes this uh, yeah already unhappy combination even more fragile. And uh, that's uh, not to mention even the VVD history with the PVV. Yes. Uh, Rutte's first cabinet was a coalition of VVD and CDA. They um, enjoyed the support, the parliamentary support by the PVV, who didn't formally join the coalition. But uh, yeah, that all ended in tears. So uh, that is the reason why the VVD, especially Mark Rutte, has always said that he will never... Uh, form a coalition again with the PVV, uh, but in Flevoland uh, they have made an exception. Yeah, um, yeah, I was just curious, but uh, it's, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how long that uh, stays. There are strong overtones here, I think, of the um, uh, the situation in North Brabant after the last round of lo- uh, provincial <laughs> elections, where the form for Democratie were very strong, and they ended up going into a coalition which then collapsed after about six months, I think. Yes, that was a very traumatic experience. So, uh, yeah, um, let's not dive too deep into that. No, we shouldn't. But uh, I think it's just good to to mention that. Yes. 
Right, let's steam ahead with the yeah, uh, <laughs> with the transport story. With high <coughs> speed, please. Uh, yeah. Independent consultants have been brought in to try to keep Eurostar services on the rails during the renovation of Amsterdam's central railway station. Transport Minister Viviana Heinen said earlier this month that the direct service to London would have to be halted for up to 11 months from next June. That triggered a furious response from Eurostar, whose chief executive, Gwendolyn Kazanavi, arrived in The Hague for an emergency meeting this week to discuss ways to keep the service running. Basically, there's no realistic alternative. They can't move the train to another platform because of the need for passport and security checks. Thanks, Brexit. Uh, oh. They can't also they can't start the train in Rotterdam either because that won't be profitable. There isn't the capacity to take all the transfer all the passengers from Amsterdam to Rotterdam. And the permanent terminal that's due to be built in Amsterdam Zout Station won't be ready until 2036. I don't know why it oh. takes so long to build a train passenger terminal, but there you go. Uh, Passengers Association, or over, also claimed this week that the rail operator NS had known since 2018, so even before the Eurostar started running, that this renovation work would have an impact and would lead to cancellations, but they didn't bother to tell the government. NS I saw that um, Viviane Heine sent a letter to Parliament uh, literally one year ago yeah. about uh, this whole situation. MPs uh, back then apparently didn't notice or didn't care and it was only uh this yeah uh, last week that they came into action so they already had more than a year to uh to uh yeah call for a solution but yeah. uh yeah they, de- they haven't decided to do that yeah yeah it's, yes it's all kind of quite reminiscent of the way that they've handled the nitrogen crisis really just uh uh, yes. Sit on it until it's too late. Anyway, NS didn't deny this allegation that uh, they'd known about it for years when it was put to them by the Telegraph. After the meeting in The Hague, Eurostar said a consultancy firm was being brought in to explore solutions allowing Eurostar to continue to offer direct service between Amsterdam and London. So presumably nothing <laughs> will continue to happen, but expect lots of coffee and miniature biscuits to be consumed. But... Um... Apparently, they could be uh, Eurostar could be facing competition from Q Bus and Arriva. Yeah, um, Arriva, who are best known for running small rural train services and buses, Q Bus, who basically are a bus company with a couple <laughs> of small train routes, and the long-distance coach firm Flixbus have all unveiled plans to run trains to European capitals. And we told you last week about Arriva's plans to connect Groningen and Paris by train. And now it turns out that Cubas, whose only train at the moment is between Dordrecht and the Kelder Malsen, uh, want to branch out to Paris and Berlin. I don't know if they okay. go from, from Kelder Malsen to Berlin, but that'd be interesting. So that sounds like a very ambitious expansion of their services. <laughs> yes. Certainly does, yeah. Uh, Flixtrain, which is a subsidiary of Flixbus, says it wants to connect Germany to Arnhem, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and The Hague from next year. And even NS is said to be considering starting services to London, Paris, Berlin and Vienna. All of the trains are being run on the open access principle, which means they receive no government concessions or subsidies. And NS is thought to have entered the fray partly because it's worried that its monopoly in the major Dutch rail routes uh, is uh, being increasingly seen as in breach of EU competition laws, which basically it is. (laughs) Uh, All I want to know is uh, whether Fred Taven is going to be retraining as a train driver. Um, I'm sure he will. Um, and all this just as Schiphol's seventh runway, the second Kaagbaan, I think it is, right? It is, yeah. 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 Uh, that runway is killed off for good. 
Yeah, uh, one of the consequences of reducing Eurostar services to London is that it will lead to more flights, but they won't be taking off from the uh, Tveda Karpan because the government confirmed this week that it was cancelling the option to build it. Transport Minister Mark Harbers announced the move in front of the most supportive audience he could find. That's people living in the village of <laughs> Reisenhout in Harlemmermeer. Um, and, uh, they live right on the edge of the airport and uh, their plans to build more homes in the village have been held up because uh, the new runway would be too close and it would breach noise pollution limits. But now the government has removed the airport's uh, concession uh, to, to build on the land, the building work can go ahead. It's a huge relief for the residents of Reisenhout, said local alderman Jürgen Nobel, and it's also in line with Habers' plan to reduce the number of annual flights to and from Schiphol from 500,000 to 440,000 from November next year, although it's not clear that will go ahead because a court ruled in April that the Dutch state and Schiphol had failed to follow the correct procedure um, mm. and given all sides due consideration. Uh, although the government has also appealed against those decisions. That rumbles on as well, along with the agricultural agreement and the Eurostar uh, debacle. Uh, I just spoke uh, this week with someone who was amazed by the fact that um, Haarlemmermeer uh, literally is was a lake. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, one of the largest lakes in the Netherlands, uh, and it was pumped dry, I think, in the 19th century which uh, yeah cleared yeah. a lot of land and we they, basically they, they, they drained the swamp basically <laughs> we yeah. drained the Harlem swamp yeah it was, and it was quite a big source of malaria as well I seem to oh was it oh, okay. somewhere I think yeah oh. yeah well it's uh, th- that's the reason why Schiphol is uh, four and a half meters below sea level yeah so, the reason uh, why it's called yeah. Schiphol as well because it was originally for yeah. Ships, yeah, 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 where ships went to die, yes. Um, so now, uh, now it is where Kaarbana go to die. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If you appreciate our efforts to give you a guide to Dutch life and politics that's more reliable than Eurostar and easier to follow than the Trader Kammer voting paper, why not reward us by becoming a sponsor on Patreon? For as little as a euro, a dollar, or a pound a month, you can join our faithful band of patrons and help us to keep putting in the time and effort to bring you these weekly podcasts. We've got no new patrons to thank this week, but as ever, we'd like to take a minute to say a word of thanks to everybody who supports us. It really does make a difference uh, and, and, and it allows us to just keep going, basically. So, yes, as ever, we're extremely grateful to you. And if you would like to become a patron, you can sign up at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. Dutch military intelligence agency MIVD briefed the US last June about Ukrainian plans to blow up the Nord Stream gas pipeline. That's according to the NOS and several German media. The MFD picked up plans for an immediate attack on the pipeline from a Ukrainian source. The MFD shared the alarming message with the CIA and the Americans subsequently warned Ukraine not to proceed. Three months later, the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines linking Russia to Germany through the Baltic Sea were targeted by two blasts in what NOS says was virtually the same scenario as the MFD had exposed. Last week, the Washington Post reported in detail about the sabotage plan. The American newspaper said the information was collected by a European intelligence service. And now it turns out that that uh, European intelligence service is the MFD. It's not been determined yet who is responsible for the explosions, but Ukraine and Russia as well have denied any responsibility. The MFD declines to comment about the media reports, as well as Prime Minister Mark Rutte, Defence Minister Kaiser Alongen and Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra. 
Ollongren said that uh, they only want to answer questions after the official investigation on the sabotage has been concluded. And um, Longren has been very busy this week because uh, she also announced that the training of Ukrainian F-16 pilots can begin as soon as this summer. She said the aim is to have the training program fully operational within six months. The Netherlands is leading a coalition together with Belgium, Denmark and Luxembourg to provide Ukraine with F-16 fighter jets and also uh, train them. The pilots will start the training in F-16 simulators in Denmark, but they will be moved to a training facility somewhere in Eastern Europe as soon as possible. Experienced pilots who speak English well will be trained first. The United Kingdom uh, is uh, giving their helping hand. They will provide English language courses oh, good. for pilots that uh, are not uh, uh, masters in the English language yet. They, yeah. and that's required because the F-16 is, of course, an American jet and uh, yeah, they need to, uh, to learn the language. Yeah. And it was also announced that the Netherlands will donate four air defense radar systems to Ukraine worth 150 million euros. And they will also uh, transfer 100 million euros in a fund that will also provide Ukraine with uh, more air defense capability. Yeah, we have a lot of money to spend apparently. So uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, fortunately, it's uh, it's for a good cause. Yeah, although well, six months to get the training program fully operational, so it's not going to be firing all cylinders until what's sort of the end of the year. So it's yeah. quite a long time in the context of the, given the Ukrainians are trying to launch a counteroffensive right now. And one of the big things that's been holding them back is the lack of air support. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, in that respect, it comes uh, it comes a little bit too late. But uh, yeah, I think Ukraine is just happy with everything they can yeah. uh, get their hands on. But yeah, that's uh, uh, training an F sixteen pilot. It just takes uh, a lot of time, and usually it takes a couple of years. So if they can manage it in in six months, that would be uh, already a uh, an achievement. Yeah, yeah, I guess better late than never, as ever. With, uh... Yes, and I was kind of surprised to learn that the UK doesn't have any F-16s. No, uh, no. But fortunately, they have English language teachers, so yeah. they can uh, they can still contribute to this whole uh, to this yeah. whole. Yeah, uh, they program. still have some kind of token involvement, which is important. Sports news, and there'll be no end-of-season trophy for the Dutch men's football team after Oranje were dumped out of the Nations League by Croatia on Wednesday night. It started brightly enough for Ronald Koeman's men. They had marginally the better of the first half and uh, Donald Marlin put them into the lead when he finished off with a neat passing move. But the experienced Croats uh, stepped up a gear after the break. Andre Kramaric equalised from the penalty spot after Cody Gakpo had pulled back Luka Modric in the penalty area. Modric had an absolutely fantastic game from half-time onwards, basically, and was a huge difference between the two teams. He's 37, and oh wow, you know he's got more energy than the entire Dutch midfield, seemingly. <laughs> Mario Pasalic took away a second goal with 18 minutes left. That looked to be enough, but then Noah Lang, the substitute, scrambled in an equaliser deep into injury time but it was a short-lived reprieve Bruno Pekovic fired a long-range shot off a pass from Modric inside the near post Modric then put away a second penalty and Ronald Koeman admitted that Croatia's experienced midfielders were a cut above their Dutch opponents they're not number three in the world for nothing and they showed that tonight Koeman said and he also said he actually enjoyed watching Modric played which I think we all did even if we were rooting for the Dutch (laughs) at the start of the game I'm just glad that we are kicked out of the Nations League because that's just the most ridiculous it is. league <laughs> there is. So, yeah, we should be glad that we don't have to deal with that nonsense anymore. Yeah, although the bad news for you, of course, is that uh, it's not over because uh, the Dutch are now going to play in the third-place playoff of the Nations League, <laughs> which is probably the most pointless match in the whole history of football, frankly. 
Who are they going to play against? Is that already known or not? They're going to play Italy on Saturday. Italy. In, in Saturday, okay. yeah. Croatia will play Spain in the final in Rotterdam. Spain beat Italy 2-1 in the second semi-final on Thursday. Are they not sad about the death of uh, Silvio Berlusconi? Or? Uh, I, wonder, I wonder how we can shoehorn Berlusconi in. Yeah, I don't know if they had a minute's silence for Berlusconi. They probably did because he was the, um, among many other jobs he had, he was the chairman of AC Milan in the 1980s when, oh, of, yeah, course, of course, uh, Van Basten and Kulit and Rijkaard were playing for them. Did you see that this uh, escort service website sent yes. a huge wreath to the funeral, state funeral of Berlusconi? <laughs> yeah, I think they're genuinely very sad about the loss of Berlusconi. Scone and uh, I imagine it's going to have a quite an impact in, in their annual report when they, when they do the accounts. Uh, There's this. one thing for certain: if Balkanender dies, there is never going to be a, a escort service <laughs> website sending briefs to his funeral. Unlikely, no. Might be a huge stunt for Easy Toys. And uh, I come to think of it, <laughs> the mind boggles. Well, not anymore. That would now be illegal, wouldn't it? Yes, now that's the Netherlands right. has decided it's finally going to outlaw necrophilia. <laughs> We can't sort out the Eurostar trains or the farmers' agreement, but we can decide that it should be illegal to have sex with a corpse. So, yes, all is not lost. Finally, we are a uh, civilized country now. <laughs> and the two big coaching vacancies were filled this week, right? PSV, what else? PSV and Ajax, yeah. Ajax, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Ajax, of course, yes. PSV departed from the recent tradition of appointing a bald, bearded Dutchman in his 40s. <laughs> Because uh, Peter Boss is a bald, bearded Dutchman in his 50s. <laughs> Boss was in charge of Ajax for the 2016-17 season. The, I have one question. Yeah. Does he wear turtlenecks? Does he wear turtlenecks? I, I think yes. he does, yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah, he wears turtlenecks. That's also one of the prerequisites, right? It's true, yeah. 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 you yeah. have to be bald with a beard uh, and a collection of turtlenecks. And preferably yes. in your 40s, yeah. Yeah. Ajax reached the final of the Europa League when he was in charge uh, against Manchester United. He went on to coach at Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen and Olympique Lyonnais. Uh, he said he wanted to bring back the glory days of the early 70s and ni- 1980s when PSV dominated Dutch football and they won the European Cup in 1988. But it is worth noting that the only trophy Boss has ever actually won as a coach was a Jupiler League title with the first <laughs> up back in 2005. So there's a big weight of expectation there. He doesn't have a glass cabinet with uh, with plenty of uh, trophies and uh, yeah. No, no, the, the, the shiniest thing in his house is, is his head I think <laughs> so. okay and how about Ajax yeah Ajax uh, yeah, they've unveiled Maurice Stein as their new head coach on Wednesday uh, Stein is he's 49 so he's in his 40s but he's not totally bald oh. he's got light stubble rather than the beard and uh, I haven't seen him in a turtleneck either so hmm. uh, a real out of the box appointment by Ajax yeah. there what he does have is a good track record or a recent track record as a coach uh, he was in charge of Sparta for just over a year he took over four games from the end of last season when they were rock bottom and looked certain to be relegated and managed to save them from that fate. And then this season they've uh, finished sixth, which is their oh. most successful result since 1996. And that's persuaded Ajax to trigger the release clause in Stein's contract. Uh, they're understood to have paid Sparta €400,000 for his signature, which is 0.004% of an Anthony. Yeah, even that seems like a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it seems quite a bargain, I think, in the context of what they're used to paying for top talent. Yeah. And um, yeah, what is the latest uh, 
province that have, has joined the Eredivisie. Yeah, it's been a big week in Flevoland. They they had the BFF yes. in the coalition, and their football club is now in the Eredivisie. Wow. And that's because uh, they won promotion to the top flight by beating Emmen for one in aggregate, and that means they displace Emmen, who were trying to save themselves from relegation, having finished 16th in the league. Almira won the second leg in Drenthe, 2-1, and that makes them the 55th club to compete in the Eredivisie, and the last newcomers were Emmen themselves, who were also, of course, the first team from Drenthe to play in the Eredivisie. So all hmm. 12 provinces now have, uh, or, or will have had, um, a presence in the in the top flight of Dutch football. Amira City have got quite a, had quite a history. They've been to various guises. They were founded in 1959 in Amsterdam as De Svarte Schapen, or the Black Sheep, by okay. supporters who opposed a merger of two other capital city clubs. At that point, of course, Almira didn't even exist. Yes. Flevoland uh, was reclaimed from the seabed in the 1960s, and the foundations of the first house were laid in 1976, which gives us the interesting fact that the current coach of Almira City, Alex Pastor, is older than the city. Yeah, but also the team is older than the city. It is, yes. The team predates the city where it's now based. Yeah. This is something that will pop up in, in football pub quizzes all over the world now, yeah, I think. Yeah, this isn't only in the Netherlands situation, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, Could you have a football yes. club that, uh, when it was founded, the town, its stadium was still underwater? <laughs> The club went through several more name changes. They moved to Almira in 1995. They changed their name to Sporting Flevoland, which I think is my favourite of all the names that this club has had in its history. Uh, and then again to the more anodyne FC Omniworld. The local political party Leifba Almira opposed the club's plans to turn professional in 2002. But in 2005, the political climate changed. They obtained a licence to the KNVB and stepped up to the Eerste Divisie, then known as the Jupiler League. And in 2010-11, they were bought out by property development firm Kronenberg Group and uh, changed their name again, this time to Almira City. Next season, they finished bottom. They only escaped relegation to the amateur leagues because RBC Rosendahl went bankrupt. So, yes, thanks to Rosendahl, we now have a Flevoland club in the Eredivisie. So I hope you're happy, Paul. <laughs> yes, it's all my fault. I should have gone to RBC Rosendahl more often. Yeah, exactly. If you'd gone to more games uh, at RBC, this would never have happened, basically. Yes, yeah. yes. I take full responsibility <laughs> and I will, I will resign with immediate effect. Well, you can take the, take the Chilton Hundreds until we find another yes. uh, podcast host. <laughs> Since then, it's been an upward curve. They lost the playoff final to De Graafschap in 2018, and now this year they won promotion to the Eredivisie. So well done to Almira. And also, I should say, special congratulations to uh, Jort van Veren. He's become European singles champion at 10-pin bowling for okay. Leiden. So, Okay, good. Uh, congratulations to him. Yeah. Um, okay, enough of all this uh, boring Almira stuff. Let's uh, move to the more exciting uh, bits of this segment. What what ha what has happened in cricket world? Yeah, I thought you'd never ask. Um, the Netherlands are warmed up for next week's absolutely crucial ICC qualifying tournament in Zimbabwe with a narrow, kind of slightly messy win against Ireland. Aurania bowled out the Irish for 193 in just 39 overs, with uh, Lohan van Beek taking two wickets for 23. But then the Irish got fired into the Dutch middle order with Ben White taking five for 61. Despite losing captain Scott Edwards for four runs, the Dutch did manage to reach their target with more than 12 overs to spare but only two wickets in hand by the end they got 195 for eight shameful it was knife edge for a while especially after they lost i think three wickets in the space of about 15 minutes 
round about the sort of 10-12 over mark. But much of their success was down to the efforts of the South African-born veteran Wesley Baracy, who scored 90 off 86 balls until he was dismissed, at which point they needed just 15 more runs to finish off uh, the match, while Max O'Dowd was a dependable support act with a knock-off 36. So... There we are. I have literally no idea what you've been <laughs> talking about. I'll try to to read about uh, the rules of cricket because this is all a mystery to me, what you just said. Yeah, otherwise uh, it's just going to be like trying to find your way around a Dutch voting paper, basically. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I see the word Tom Poos in the script further on, so I'm okay. really curious what that's about. We'll skip to that. Yeah. Uh, While well, the Dutch are starting the ICC qualifiers against Zimbabwe on Tuesday, and then they play the United States on Thursday. Uh, there are five teams in the group. We'll bring you a full update on their progress next week. We should mention it is traditional for listeners to Test Match Special to send in cakes to the commentary team. So if anyone fancies doing a bit of home baking or maybe uh, uh, chipping in for some orange Tom Pooses, in honour of the national cricket team, then feel free to drop us a line on Patreon or Twitter, <laughs> and we'll give you a special shout out on the next podcast. Yes, I'm very, uh, I'm very much in favour of uh, Tom Pooses. So, yeah. Orange Tom Pooses, yeah. Yes. The NS announced the royal family's train will retire. The royal train, or more precisely, the royal train carriage has been in service since the early 90s and has reached the end of its technical life. Northeinde Palace said the train will not be replaced, which means that a 160-year history of royal train transport comes to an end next week, after King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima travel to Belgium for a state visit. After that, the carriage will be donated to the Spoorwegmuseum, the Railway Museum in Utrecht, where it will uh, join a collection of other royal trains. The train was used recently by the royal family on several occasions, for example to travel to Lech in Austria for a skiing holiday. But uh, fortunately for Willem-Alexander, he has plenty of other modes of transportation, controversial modes of transportation to choose from. Yeah. Uh, he is of course a uh, Boeing 747 pilot and uh, he also has a very tacky uh, speedboat as well as a uh, small royal yacht sailing yacht that uh, always causes a lot of opf as well so uh, yeah. there are a lot of people on, on social media who said that in these times of you know climate change and reducing your co2 uh, footprints should you really abandon a train that seems like a relatively um, a sustainable mode of transport uh, uh, compared to the government's plane but the thing is simply falling apart so yeah this is just uh, yeah i was reading the king has said that he will uh, he will take the regular train service from now on so oh does he okay yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the king on the q buzz from going from <laughs> keldermelson to paris yeah <laughs> yes that, that might be a possibility in the near future yes we'll yeah. see yeah the one thing he won't be doing of course is traveling by eurostar no <laughs> don't that's uh, something that's out of the question uh, for the near future yeah um i yeah. also and i also want to know now that the royal carriage the royal train carriage is not being used um by the royal family will they use the train carriage to sign some kind of historic treaty like the agricultural <laughs> agreement or something like that yeah yeah they should definitely use that for it yes and then uh, put it on the border of gelderland and, uh, and utrecht or something yeah. yes uh, uh, that uh, that seems like a good idea um, my parents went to Edinburgh two weeks ago and they visited the Royal Yacht Britannia, yeah. which is a museum ship somewhere. It is, it is now, yes. yeah, Yes. Yeah. Down in Leith Docks. Uh, and they were just uh, shocked <laughs> by the sheer size of that thing and also mm-hmm. that it is, was always permanently manned by 180 uh, Navy personnel, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's always a nice contrast to see uh, how they are doing things uh, with the royal family in the UK compared to uh, 
the Netherlands and uh, yeah, how uh, outraged we always are, how uh, frugal our family is compared to, uh, to the Brits. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout out on the podcast. And feel free to send us any tompooses or cakes or delicacies <laughs> uh, that you're minded to send us. We'll give you a shout out for that as well. My thanks to Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week with even more cricket news. <laughs>